0: Well, hello, everyone. This is J.B. Hickson with NBW Ministries, proclaiming the clear, accurate, and urgent gospel message from my studio beneath the sky, tucked away under the tall timbers of Colorado. Thank you so much for joining us. Today is Tuesday, November the 14th, 2023, and the interview we've got lined up for today is going to be fantastic. It'll be part two of uh, our good f- uh, friend uh, Dr. Nathan Jones' discussion of the Minor Prophets. So I'll bring uh, Dr. Jones on here in just a moment. But you know, I was thinking next week is is Thanksgiving, and then we've got uh, Christmas right around the corner. And then, of course, 2024 will be upon us. It's amazing how fast time flies. And, and somewhere in there, uh, maybe the rapture. I don't know. Maybe that. Maybe that would be great. I mean, we might want to ask our our guest today, uh, Dr. Jones, when the rapture is going to happen. Maybe he can give us an inside scoop there. Uh, Lamb and Lion Ministries has been uh, proclaiming the soon coming of our Lord for for many, uh, many years now. Of course, uh, he knows I'm just kind of tongue-in-cheek there. We don't know when it's going to happen, but it could be today, Maranatha. So, uh, But can't wait to talk to him about part two of uh, our discussion of the minor prophets. Before I bring him on, though, a couple of quick announcements. Uh, First of all, I I hardly ever mention this. In fact, I don't remember the last time I mentioned it, but uh, our good friends at Red Pill Prince kind of nudged me a little bit and said, hey, you need to remind people they can get NBW merchandise. So Red Pill Prince has partnered with Not Works and several other ministries to handle all of our merchandise uh, products. So that's shirts, sweatshirts, caps, mugs, all kinds of really neat stuff. In fact, I'm wearing one of their uh, products now. We've probably one of their best customers. We buy NBW stuff from them all the time. And so with Christmas coming up, it's, it's a great opportunity to maybe get uh, a gift for somebody. And what's really cool about our uh, logo and our ministry, NBW, is uh, I can't tell you the number of times people come up to me and say, what is NBW? Tell me about NBW. And a lot of times they think, oh, maybe you named it after the initials of your kids or something like that. But no, no, it's based on Titus 3.5, not by works of righteousness, which we've done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. So when someone asks you, what's NBW? on your water bottle or your coffee mug or your baseball cap. We have little toboggans and other, you know, uh, ski caps that I wear when I'm plowing the driveway. And But when they see NBW and they ask you about it, it gives you an opportunity to explain the grace of God and the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. So anyway, you can get to our merchandise uh, site, which is run by Red Pill Prints through our online store. If you just uh, click on notbillworks.org, uh, and then click the store button, you'll see a merchandise section. They handle all that for us, but lots of really cool stuff on there. So check out uh, the, the NBW merchandise uh, at notbyworks.org. Uh, uh, and then uh, of course, I wanna to continue to remind you about uh, Plum Creek Chapel. I'll be there in the pulpit again this Sunday. We're continuing to talk about Israel in uh, in how they fit into God's plan and uh, just kind of dedicating uh, November, and December when I'm in town Uh, to discussing that as we wrap up the year. So if you're in the Denver Metro area, come see us at Plum Creek Chapel in Sedalia, Colorado. And our services are at 8.30 and 10 o'clock. For those of you not in the area, we live stream my message from the 10 o'clock service. Uh, So you can go to notbyworks.org, click on the live stream button at 10 o'clock mountain time on Sundays and uh, join us remotely love to have you be a part of that uh, service uh speaking of christmas right around the corner I encourage you to uh, to give out some of our books and resources that uh, plainly share the clear, accurate, and urgent gospel message. Of course, my Spirit of the Antichrist books uh, are a great read for folks that are interested in where this crazy mixed-up world is heading. The brand-new Spirit of the False Prophet book, Rise of the Global Technocracy, uh, makes a great gift. And all of my books are available now in Kindle, Uh, so if you're a Kindle user or you know someone who is, maybe you can give them a Kindle gift certificate. Well, I want to uh, begin before we bring uh, Dr. Jones on with uh, Micah chapter 5. We're going to pick up with uh, the the uh, minor prophet Micah, where we left off. We finished Jonah in our last uh, interview. Uh, but Micah is that uh, great uh, 7th century, 6th century uh, B.C. Uh, prophet. And, uh, of course, most people know Micah 5-2, and since uh, we are about a month away or so from uh, Christmas, I thought this would be a good uh, passage to use as a devotional in the spirit of Christmas. Uh, Micah the prophet says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. Of course, that's talking about... God's eternal Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, He shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of His brethren shall return to the children of Israel, and He shall stand and feed His flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord His God, and they shall abide. For now He shall be great to the ends of the earth, and this one shall be peace." You know, as we think about what's going on over in Israel and the bloodshed and the just the tragedies that are happening over there as these evil terrorists just continue to wreak havoc on uh, God's chosen nation, Israel, I can't help but think about the, the Prince of Peace himself, Jesus Christ. Isaiah, that's his term for Jesus, but here Micah the prophet says, this one shall be peace. And man, what a day that will be when the Prince of Peace sits on the throne and uh And brings peace, but you know Micah five two fulfilled you know completely, literally, precisely as the prophet said it would when Jesus was born uh, some two thousand years ago in the hills outside of uh, Bethlehem there, and uh, and you know it's uh, it's it's amazing how so many people, Doctor Jones understand this prophecy literally, and yet when it comes to all of the prophecies, including the references right here within this uh, minor prophet to the second coming of Christ and the millennial reign, they sweep that aside and don't take them literally. So I'm just really excited to have you back on today to to continue to encourage us, um, you know, uh, by way of review, uh, just so you don't have to do it. We talked about Hosea and Faith When Your Heart is Shattered. By the way, these are coming from uh, Nathan Jones' book, 12 Faith Journeys of the Minor Prophets. This is the new edition called the Prophecy Edition. Fantastic book. I was just recommending it to a good friend of mine down in Texas just uh, two days ago, in fact, and uh, he's... uh, uh, just uh, loves, uh, he's a preacher, loves to study the minor prophets. I said, this has got to be a book on your shelf. But you take each of the minor prophets in this book, and in this revised edition, you you kind of zero in on some of the prophetic aspects. You have a great section at the end of each chapter dealing with uh, all of the prophetic uh, verses within each minor prophet. And each one of them kind of has a little, uh, you know, summary Theme, which really distills it down. So Hosea was faith when your heart is shattered. Uh, and then we had Joel, faith through devastating loss. Amos was faith through the fires of injustice. And then we had Obadiah, faith when it seems like God has forgotten. That was a great discussion. And then, of course, we looked at Jonah, faith when you don't feel like it. I love that. But to welcome back to the program, Dr. Jones, and can't wait to to dive in.
1: Oh, thank you, Dr. Hickson. I appreciate that. Excuse me. I appreciate you recommending the book as I've been recommending uh, your book on the false prophet. I'm almost done it. I just found it fascinating. It's almost hard to put down. It's it's just kind of pulls you in and makes you realize what frightening yet exciting times we're living in. So praise the Lord for the work he's doing uh, through you through that three book series.
0: Amen. Yeah. Spirit of the False Prophet, Rise of the Global Technocracy, uh, all about what uh, how Satan is setting the stage for the Antichrist and false prophet to rule the world, just briefly until the King of Kings uh, comes back. So folks can check out spiritofthefalseprophet.org, spiritofthefalseprophet.org to learn more about that book. But uh, I'm going to turn the mic over to you now, and you're going to pick it up here with uh, Micah. And you mentioned to me before we started, this is one of your favorite a minor prophet. So tell us why and tell us what the message of Micah is for us today.
1: Well, sure thing. Hey, uh, before we do that, I want to comment on something you said about people believing in the literal interpretation of the first coming prophecies but totally spiritualizing the second coming. That that is a phenomena that has gripped the church for you know almost 2000 years. But yeah. it's fascinating when you think that there are 300 general or 109 distinct prophecies about Jesus first coming and he fulfilled every single one of them in detail. Uh, Mathematician Peter Stoner calculated that the probability of one man fulfilling just eight of the 109 is one in 10 to the 17th power. That's a one Uh followed by 17 zeros. And that's just eight of those prophecies. Mm -hmm. So if the Lord can fulfill all those perfectly, then what about the five hundred? prophecies in the Old Testament and 1 in 25 verses in the New Testament that prophesy Jesus' second coming, which means we can take a literal interpretation of the second coming and know for a fact that he is coming soon.
0: Yeah, it's so amazing, and it's inconsistent, of course, for people to do that, to, to shift their hermeneutic inexplicably and say, all of a sudden, all of these uh, second coming passages are allegorical somehow. Uh, but sadly, that has gripped the church for a long time. I preached a message recently in my series on uh, Israel about why you're a dispensationalist, whether you realize it or not, and uh, and uh, and it just really kind of walked through the literal, grammatical, historical interpretation of Scripture and why uh, Israel matters. But yeah, thanks for sharing that. It is it is a great testimony to the trustworthiness of God's Word.
1: Absolutely. And that's why uh, Steve Hall, who's a pastor at uh, Tonganoxie Christian Church up in Kansas, and I wanted to write the 12 Faith Journeys of the Minor Prophet books, because we felt that people uh, ignored that section of the book. It's like a dusty attic. It's the attic of the Old Testament that nobody gets into, but it's filled with not only a wealth of information about how to, uh, we look at the Minor Prophets and see how they dealt with ter- certain time periods and how those time periods ta- challenged their faith. And well, how did they come overcome it? I mean, after all the minor prophets are people just like you and me. They're no different. We're just separated by centuries. And so how did they overcome those challenges to the faith? And uh, I think we saw that in Habakkuk 2.4, the just shall live by faith. That's how we overcome faith challenges. We just live by our faith. We trust the Lord is doing things. And uh, like you said, I love Micah because Micah deals with faith when government has failed. Mm. And we've had a recent election and we're now in the countdown to the big 2024 election here in the United States. It's It's either going to make uh, big changes or we're going to be in the middle of a civil war. So there's a lot to look, unfortunately, coming. But Micah lived in a time period about 737 to 690 BC. He was there during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And Ahaz was an immoral monster. I mean, he had nothing but contempt for God. He stripped the temple of its valuables, he set up the worship of gods of his enemies, he robbed his own people blind, and even burned his children in pagan sacrifice. I mean, this guy was evil. Government had completely failed. So the Lord sent Micah in the, in the kind of the position, not just a prophet, but also as prosecutor, to bring his message of judgment upon the nation of Judah. He says, you know, you've oppressed the poor. You've had an unscrupulous use of power. You, you lack integrity. You do all things greedy, but in the name of God, you're heeding the false prophets. I mean, this is just Micah lays out one after, accusation after another after another. And the Lord says, OK, I'm going to put you on probation, but you are going to exile. That's the punishment for these crimes. And there's another prophecy that got fulfilled in 586. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came. Destroyed Judah and ransacked Jerusalem and carried the people away in, in three waves and up to Babylon. And there, for about 70 years, they were there in exile so that a believing remnant would return. So, Micah was an interesting man, too, because it says that he would howl like an ostrich, whatever that sounds like. And usually he's just wearing a loincloth. So, he's one of these acting prophets who used his appearance to shock people but his lessons were were incredible because how do you have faith when government has failed the lord has put government over us uh, in his stead and we're sp- these kings in we're reading the bible are meant to do his will but a lot of times they don't they do their own will so how can we put trust in government if it's god ordained when it's always failed us and the truth is you can't you can only put trust in god's sovereign government
0: amen yeah i mean it's uh you mentioned the election. It's it's uh it's funny how there's you know so so often we we want to put our faith and trust in man and we forget that it's God who holds the hearts of kings uh, in His hand, as as Proverb says. But you know, uh, you mentioned that prophecy of of uh, Judah going off in exile, and it was about a hundred years, if I'm doing the math right, after Micah left the scene. That indeed, just as he predicted, uh, that prophecy was fulfilled.
1: Oh, absolutely. You'll find that there's 105 verses in Micah, 55 are prophetic. So about 52%, half of the book is prophetic. You'll find four historically fulfilled prophecies, five, excuse me, three partially fulfilled, and eight awaiting uh, fulfillment. For instance, uh, Micah 1, 3 through 4 says, for behold, the Lord is coming out of his place. He will come down and tread on the high places of the earth, the mountains will melt under him and the valleys will split like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. So here's this prophecy about the coming of the Messiah. And when he comes, there'll be natural cataclysms happening all around him. And this is a prophecy pointing to a future fulfillment. Will Jesus will return on the Mount of Olives and it's going to split in two when he lands. I think that's, I wish they make a movie of that. That would look so awesome. You know, he lands on the mountain with such impact. It splits the ground And we could read about that also in Zechariah 14.4, but it's a prophecy about his second coming. And of course, there's many other prophecies we could go through in the book of Micah, because Micah is just chock full of prophecy.
0: Yeah, and so we see all these superhero, you know, comic movies (laughs) uh, with them doing those types of things. But this won't be any old superhero. This will be a supernatural move of Almighty God himself when Jesus Christ comes back, a second time, this time not as the suffering servant, uh, not as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world, but as a victorious warrior to tread the winepress of the wrath of Almighty God. And so, uh, yeah, that would be quite a, a scene uh, uh, to see when he when he comes back. You know, you talk about these cosmic signs. I think uh, things are, are heating up. Yet another sign of the times is that We're seeing all kinds of things happen in the atmosphere. We're seeing an increase in earthquakes and in their intensity and frequency. Uh, We're just seeing a lot of cosmic things happening. Part of that is Satan's attack on, uh, you know, all of God's creation. I was talking to uh, my friend, uh, Pat Wood, just recently, and and he pointed out something pretty profound that, you know, we we talk, some of us, about how Satan is attacking mankind, uh, you know, the highest pinnacle of God's creation made in the image of God, but he's also creating every other aspect of creation that we see from the Genesis uh, account, and that includes the land, the sea, the air, everything, and Satan hates God, so he hates his creation, But uh, part of this, the cosmic things that are happening are essentially a a precursor or setting the stage to the kinds of things that we see in the book of Revelation that will immediately precede the return of the Lord. So, yeah, Micah, great, great, uh, great prophet. And as you said, four of the, uh, no, eight of the uh, prophecies await future fulfillment. So these are are important things if you want to know where things, you know, prophecies, if you want to know where things are headed.
1: Yeah, I mean, the end result of Micah's judgment upon Ahaz was the Micah 3, 9 through 12. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed like a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the temple like the bare hills of the forest. Sure enough, Judah and Jerusalem were defeated. They were made desolate. You can read about that historically being fulfilled in 2 Kings 25, 1 through 21. So there's definitely historic prophecies that happened that were proclaimed beforehand. But these future prophecies, and isn't it interesting, JB, how how the Lord mixes the prophecies together. You know, he he could be telling you in one minute a prophecy that's current, another one that's gonna see a fulfillment maybe during the church age or the new testament, but then there's another one that happens in the millennial kingdom, and then we'll come back to the second coming. And then maybe there's one about the eternal state. It, you know, for the Lord, it's history's done. He's outside of human time, you know. So he gives these these uh, prophecies to the prophets and you know these guys don't understand the bible says these guys long to understand what these prophecies meant especially the future ones and so that can confuse people it can turn people away from prophecy because it seems kind of jumbled up but when you, you when you put it inside a dispensational framework like you said and that's why i think you're right we're all dispensationalists they all fall into place and they all start making sense
0: yeah and and we see that similar you know uh, juxtaposition of you know time frames in passages like Revelation 21 and 22, uh, with the millennial phase of the kingdom on the old earth versus the eternal state. We see that in Isaiah 65 and 66, kind of this back and forth between the millennial phase of the kingdom and the eternal state when time shall be no more. So, you know, you do have to really be a good Berean and, you know, follow the text and look at the key uh, markers. I know I did a a journal article years ago, um, back when my Hebrew wasn't as dusty as it is today, uh, on the new heavens and the new earth, uh, from Isaiah 65. And you can kind of tell when you really look at it when he's shifting from the near to the far. Uh, and by the way, that article is available uh, in the free section of our Not By Works store. We have a ton of uh, articles we're adding more all the time that are totally free you just go to the not by work store you do have to put them in your cart and check out but you don't need a credit card or anything and it gets emailed to you automatically so well let's move on to nahum nahum faith in certain victory what can you tell us about him
1: all right well nahum obviously the the oppressors of israel were the assyrians and then later the babylonians and Nahum got a prophecy of victory over the Syrians. Now we got to remember that Jonah, about a 150 years earlier, had been sent to Nineveh and he preached uh, what was the five words I think is total, but it was enough to turn the whole capital and the king towards God. Well, God gave them a reprieve, but eventually the subsequent generations fell into sin, I and mean, we see that even in our day and age. And so now there's judgment coming upon the Assyrians. And it's a prophecy about the end of that and how God will avenge and God will have the victory. There's sometimes though, our faith is challenged because with victory comes kind of a sense of entitlement and arrogance. And we've seen how that destroys nations. I mean, how many nations are, are felled when the Lord gives them a great victory and then they fall into apathy. They think they're the ones who caused their victory and then they stumble and fall. I was just reading a good article this morning about, how after the Yom Kippur War, or excuse me, just before, but after the Six-Day War, how the Jewish people had fallen into a state believing that they had caused their great victory and they didn't give it to God, Him the glory. And so they, this soldier believed that the Yom Kippur was meant to humble people and bring the Jewish people back to trusting God, and in a way they did. And that's what Nahum's concern is, is that the people in their victory will start attributing it to themselves And so how do you keep your faith pointed humbly towards God when you feel like, well, Hey, maybe I had played a part in my victory. Hmm. And so that's an important lesson. That was a very interesting lesson. Um, My uh, co-writer Steve Howell wrote this chapter and after he submitted to, I was like, wow, I've never thought of it that way before, but he made a good point. Uh, There's 47 verses in this book, 40 are prophetic. That's 85% of name is prophecy. Although there's not many, they focus pretty much on, the destruction of Nineveh, but two historically fulfilled and four awaiting future fulfillment.
0: Yeah, so tell us about the future ones. You know, uh, obviously, it, the the destruction of Nineveh is extremely important and relevant for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is just reminding us that God is a covenant-keeping God. His prophecies come true, just like uh, Nahum said they would. Uh, plus, it, uh, you know, Assyria was an, an enemy uh, of Israel, and we were you know we can rejoice that they repented in Jonah's day, but at the same time, you know, uh, when they, uh, you know, backslid again, it was time to to face uh, face judgment. But uh, you know we we love end times prophecies, right? That's the era in which we live. We all want to know what's coming. So four of his prophecies await future fulfillment. Talk to us about that.
1: Well, again, uh, just like we read in Micah, the Lord doesn't end with judgment he also shows future victory. He doesn't want his people to lose all hope. He, they want him, uh, he wants them to have hope in him for the future. So we read in Am 1, 5 through 6, for instance, the mountains quake before him, the hills melt and the earth heaves at his presence. Yes, the world and all who dwell in it. And it goes on. And it's another prophecy about the coming of the Lord. And when he comes that day of Christ, that that day will be filled with natural disasters. Now, like you said, The disasters are starting to ramp up. Jesus said in Matthew 24 and Luke 21 that natural disasters and signs in the sky would be two of the 10 or so signs given that will increase in frequency and intensity leading up to his return and then really escalate during the tribulation to the point where the earth is almost destroyed at the end. And then when Jesus comes, I mean, the whole nature is up in an outroar. And so here's another prophecy about how nature is just thrown in the cataclysm when he returns and again lands on the Mount of Olives and splits it in two. Uh, Nahum 1 O Judah, keep your appointed feasts, perform your vows, for the wicked one shall no more pass through you. He is utterly cut off. So he's, then, when the Lord returns, he's going to set up his thousand year kingdom. And then Israel will no longer fear aggression and can worship the Lord in peace. That's a prophecy about the millennial kingdom. So we've got current prophecies about the fall of Assyria. We got prophecies about the tribulation, about the second coming and the millennial kingdom. Nahum 2.2, for the Lord will restore the excellence of Jacob like the excellence of Israel. Again, Israel will become those saved during the tribulation who live into the millennial kingdom. They and their children will be a priestly people as Jesus rules and reigns from Jerusalem. The Jewish people who are hated in the world, especially right now during this Israel-Hamas war, will be an exalted people during that time period. So definitely future, not today.
0: Yeah, you know, faith in certain victory, I hadn't thought about it that way either. But, you know, when we we see... In the hand of God move in a mighty way, and we've all seen this in our own life. I know Wendy and I have in our in our years of ministry and family. And there are times when you go through a crisis or you're struggling with one thing or another, but there are also times of abundant blessing. And it's during those times that if we're not careful, we can take our mind off of God. It's like you know we we need trials sometimes to drive us to the Lord. When things are going smoothly, you know, when you're you've got um, enough money to pay the bills. Nobody's sick. You know, your job is is good. Your house is you know not falling apart. And you know, things are just kind of pretty good. You 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 might have a tendency to drift away from the Lord and not uh, depend on Him as much. But when your faith is tested, uh, you know, uh, you, you, that's when you you rely on the Lord. But for Ni- for Nineveh's uh, case, you know, they need to be reminded of what Job said: "The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away." Right.
1: <laughs> I think affluence is a great blessing from the Lord. But almost undeniably, because of fallen human nature, it becomes a curse. Uh, Mm. You can see it throughout Israel's history, and especially through the minor prophets, especially as they were dealing with the northern tribes, which were very wealthy. They were abundant. They were comfortable. They lived well. But with all that affluence came apathy towards God. And when you ignore the spiritual relationship you have with the Father, you start thinking that you're the one who's powering your life and succeeding and uh, that's when we, that's like a, a baby, you know, who's learning to walk, a toddler, and without the parents' hands on each side, he falls down. Hmm. And that's what happens to us. We fall down in our faith and usually commit terrible sins. And the Lord has to punish us only for the right or discipline, I should say. That's more appropriate to get us into restored and right relationship with Him and trust Him. So, yeah, uh, I think the biggest challenges to people's faith. And I think this is why we see such apathy in the church today is because we're affluent. We don't think we need
0: God anymore. Yeah, no doubt. And by the way, great point uh, about the difference between judgment and discipline. We have a chart in our NBW chart book uh, that delineates the difference in Scripture between discipline and judgment. The Lord never judges His children. We're not under the wrath of God. you know, we shall never come into judgment. Jesus said, "If you believe the gospel, uh, if you get saved." Uh, but He definitely disciplines, and there are different kinds of discipline. I outline that in my chart. Uh, different ways in which He disciplines us, but uh, we need to to remember that judgment is reserved for uh, the children of wrath. So, thanks for for clarifying that.
1: Oh, certainly. Well, let's uh, move into Habakkuk then. Faith, All right? When confused. All right. Well, Habakkuk is another one like Micah, I think, that really is, pertains to today. So Habakkuk's looking around him, and he's like, there is so much evil in the world. Why, God, do you allow it? Where are you? You know, why aren't you doing something about this? Mm. So he lived in about 630 to 605 BC. We're getting to the very end of the nation of Judah being uh, ruling over themselves. And he's crying out, uh, how long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice and why do you tolerate wrong? Chapter one, verses two and three. And I don't know about you, but I think every day I, I, I seem to pray that. It's, uh, verse four, the law is powerless and justice never goes forth for the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. And how does God answer Habakkuk? This just blows my mind. Verse five, look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded. For I'll work a work in your days, which would you would not believe though it were told you. And what was God's answer? I will destroy the evil of Judah by bringing in more evil nation Babylon to destroy it. <laughs> 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 I mean, Habakkuk must have been like, What kind of well, you know, how am I supposed to have faith in a God who's going to answer my prayer by destroying us? But isn't that true? I mean, I don't know about you dr hickson but i pray every day for the united states and i remember lord the remnant here you know strengthen the church bring the nations back to you again and i know i pray that in vain because the only way to fix the nations is to do what the lord did to judah and israel destroy them take before but take the remnant out first and then put the remnant back in to rebuild the civilization again and that's exactly what the lord's going to do with the rapture and the tribulation
0: Yeah, you know, you and I have had the privilege of sharing the platform at a variety of conferences for many years now. Uh, Our paths have intertwined and crossed, but I've also had the distinct privilege of sharing the platform uh, with a man you know very well, and that's Dr. Dave Reagan. And and some of the most powerful messages that he's ever preached uh, when I've been in the room are those uh, that talk about uh, the pending judgment on America. And uh, again, you know, we we don't necessarily have chapter and verse where we can see that America is mentioned in Scripture, but we know the heart of God. We know what He's revealed to us in His Word, and that uh, it just doesn't go well with any nation that turns its back on God and uh, rebels and and slides down into this muck and mire of abject immorality and debauchery and evil, and and that's where we are. So. Uh, there's a there are a whole lot of people out there who mistakenly think that uh, uh, somehow God's gonna to bring a, a great end times revival to the earth and that America's gonna lead the way in that, and that uh, if when we get this earth cleaned up well enough that, that <laughs> Christ will come back and uh, they're just reading a different Bible, are they not? I mean, it just doesn't that's not at all what God's word says. Now, of course, we know, That there are pockets of revival all over the earth. The Spirit of God is very much alive and well. He's moving in the hearts of people. People are coming to faith. We see great things happening in various sectors. But as far as a global end times revival, that's not going to happen until the King of Kings uh, comes back and takes the throne, right?
1: Absolutely. I think the big revival that we're talking about is during the tribulation between the two witnesses, the 144,000 Jewish evangelists, the gospel angel the wrath of God, the judgments, the miracles. Uh, The Bible says that there will be a great soul harvest uh, from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. And many of them will be killed by the Antichrist, as you've written in your really good books there about that. Uh, But those that survive to the end, uh, to see Christ's second coming, will live on into his millennial kingdom. They'll repopulate the earth and rebuild the world again. And so the Lord doesn't the Lord isn't really into refurbishing refurbishing nations. He's into refurbishing people. He's, yeah. He wants to take us from our sin world to revive us, to give us new life and eventually a glorified body. But for nations, they come and go. And, uh, you know, we knew that uh, eventually the nation of Judah was destroyed by Babylon and it was only a shell of itself after that we know the united states will be destroyed by a greater power one day i don't think it's going to be china or or anything like that but certainly when the antichrist sets up his kingdom and he gobbles up all the nations of the world the united states will will probably with applause throw away the constitution gladly join into his socialist communist dictatorship that he's going to put across the entire world and enslave every person who's been begging for socialism in this country and 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 they deserve it. That's what they want. They get it. And it's just, it's horrible to know that that's what the future is, but that's the future. Now, I kind of hope that maybe there is some form of United States that's rebuilt during the millennial kingdom. We know there'll be Gentile nations in the millennial kingdom, but who knows? It might be Panem from the Hunger Games. (laughs) I don't know. We don't know what's going to become of North America, but uh, or how the world will even look after all that destruction. You know, I, I believe the geography of the world will be vastly changed after those giant earthquakes and meteors hitting the earth during that time. But uh,
0: Yeah, and, and we know that from Scripture, too, at least as far as the Temple Mount and, and Israel and Jerusalem, the geography is vastly changed uh, to make room for Ezekiel's uh, temple. But yeah, you're right. You know, we, we there are many plausible ways that we could see the demise of America, we we know the Luciferians have been working hard to make that happen. I document that in in the three book series: Spirit of the Antichrist, one and two, and Spirit of the False Prophet. But uh, so it could be through war, it could be through an enemy nation, it could be through an economic collapse, it could you know who knows? Uh, uh, you know, I was talking to someone just uh, this morning about how you know, one of the things the Luciferians worry about is they've got their plan and they're hard at work trying to implement it. You know, Agenda 2030, Agenda 21, the Great Reset, all of these things. They're really desperately trying to usher in this one-world system politically, religiously, and economically. But, you know, sometimes things happen organically, too. Not to mention, of course, the sovereignty of God, who's the ultimate arbiter of the timetable. But I just mean, sometimes you know there's infighting and 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 competing agendas and people betray others and so there's things that could happen some you know rogue nation or terrorist could just get really mad at someone else and and blow up blow up a bomb or something it happens all the time and so you know they we don't know what the downfall what's going to precipitate the downfall of America but we know that if God's word is true and it is that that it's coming and yeah, as far as during the tribulation, there's going to be an incredible harvest of souls, a great na- uh, number that come from every nation, tribe, tongue, and language. Um, the 144,000 are going to be the ones initially that spread the gospel, but we've got an angel, as you talked about previously on this program, that'll be spreading the gospel. We've got the two witnesses, um, but it, even that won't won't constitute what, what I think of when I think of the term revival. I see, you know, revival as meaning more of a returning uh, to the Lord as a nation and I don't think we're going to see that during that time. We'll see people, individuals, uh, kind of making a decision. Are they going to place their faith in Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation? Or are they going to trust in the Antichrist uh, and all of his false and empty promises? Uh, and so we will see a huge number uh, that uh, indeed uh, have in an individual revival. But the global revival, uh, that won't happen until the king comes back, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Very well said. So with Habakkuk, there's uh, 56 verses, uh, 16 are prophetic. So only 29% of Habakkuk is prophetic. You'll find two historically fulfilled prophecies and five awaiting awaiting future fulfillment. Again, the Lord doesn't leave the scene without giving future hope. Habakkuk 2.14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, the millennial kingdom. Isn't that amazing?
0: Mm -hmm. And we
1: won't need missionaries during the millennial kingdom. The whole world can actually just go up to Jerusalem and see Jesus. The whole world will know there is a God and his son is Jesus Christ. Brother, I cannot wait for that day.
0: Yeah, Jeremiah said no one will need to teach their neighbor because everyone will know of him from the least to the greatest, you know? So, uh, yeah, what a day that's going to be. So faith when you are confused. And I know a lot of people are confused right now, but if you read the Bible uh, and uh, sit under good, solid, uh, dispensational Bible teaching, it it all starts to make sense. All right, so Zephaniah, that's our next one on the list here. Tell us about Zephaniah.
1: Well, Zephaniah was faith under peer pressure. Uh, that mm-hmm. probably, especially for youth, one of the biggest challenges of keeping one's faith is being pressured to uh, join the world. And Zephaniah, as a uh, relative of the king and a courtier, he likely had quite a lot of pressure, uh, peer pressure against his faith. Well, how do you stay? Well, you have to stand up and do what's right, no matter what. He had to call the king out. And so this is about the 640s BC. Uh, it's one of the fascinating stories in 2 Kings 21, you read about Josiah, young King Josiah, and how he tried to bring the nation of Judah back to the Lord again. And there was a revival, like we just talked for a little while, but the people, because it was run by Josiah, without Josiah, it it petered out and the people lost their interest in the Lord again. And, you know, it's funny growing up, I used to look at at Israel's history and be like, what is wrong with those people? How can they keep (laughs) falling again and again and again? And it's like, there's something really messed up about these people. And now that I'm older and I'm looking at, you know, American and world history and all, it's like, Oh my goodness. It's, it's exactly the same Why is anti-Semitism just spreading across the world right now? Mm-hmm. Well, because the lessons from world war II are totally lost on gen Z's. I mean, there's no connect. There's the people are pretty much all died out from world war two. And so they believe whatever revisionist historians tell them. So a lot of peer pressure there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can learn that, um, Let's skip ahead here to the prophecies because I know we're running out of time here. There's 53 verses, 47 or pro- 89%. So 47 verses, 89% is prophetic. Historically fulfilled are three, partial two, and awaiting future fulfillment is nine. For instance, hmm. Zephaniah 1 14 through 18. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. And it goes on. And that's a prophecy about the day of the Lord, the day of God's judgment upon the world. Like the flood was in its time, the tribulation will be God's big T tribulation judgment upon the world. And Zephaniah prophesied about that too.
0: Yeah, you know, let's talk about the day of the Lord for just a second. You know how I love to kind of connect dots uh, theologically. But the day of the Lord... um is a term like all terms in Scripture that has to be uh, understood in its context. That's the only way words can really be Absolutely. understood, right? If, if I asked you uh, to define uh, trunk, the English word trunk, uh, without any context, you really don't know. It could be part of an elephant, part of a tree, uh, a suitcase, a part of a car, what is a trunk? But if I said uh, that elephant has a long trunk, well, now you can can define the word. So, the day of the Lord in Scripture, as uh, one of my uh, professors uh, years ago, Dr. John Walvard, uh, used to say, at its biggest sense, involves any time God directly intervenes in the affairs of mankind. So, prophetically, that starts with the rapture and goes all the way to the new heavens and the new earth. But most of the time in Scripture— it speaks of God's judgment and it can be narrowly referring to the, the tribulation period, the second coming specifically. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different uh contexts, but uh Zephaniah here is talking about that day of future judgment, uh, when Christ comes back to tread the winepress of the wrath of Almighty God, as Revelation tells us, right?
1: Yeah, and you, you can get both God's wrath. And day of the Lord is a time of judgment upon Israel historically, for instance, uh, Zephaniah 2, 13 through 15, and he will stretch out his hand against the North, destroy Assyria and make Nineveh a desolation as dry as the wilderness. Well, we know that happened historically in 612 BC, but go back to verse 11 and it says, the Lord will be awesome to them for he will reduce to nothing. All the gods of the earth, people shall worship him Yahweh, each one from his place. Indeed, all the shores of the nations. Well, that, that doesn't even exist today. That's a prophecy awaiting future fulfillment where the gods of this world will be destroyed the tribulation, especially the battle of Armageddon. The Messiah will defeat the fallen powers of this earth and the whole world will worship him. So you've got the Lord's victory shorthand. Yes, he's going to destroy Nineveh and he did but also the Lord is going to come back and destroy all the gods of this earth. He's going to throw Satan into a pit for a thousand years. And during the kingdom of Christ, the world will worship God, Jesus Christ, Yahweh God, and God alone. Uh, brother, that is exciting. That's the result of the day of the Lord. No matter what, Jesus always wins. I think we've the yeah. world needs to understand that. The Luciferians can be out there plotting and scheming, but as Psalm 2 says, God sits in the heavens and he laughs at them.
0: Amen. He holds them in derision. Yeah, Zephaniah, I love that faith under peer pressure. You know, it's it's interesting that he falls right between the fall of the northern kingdom and the fall of the southern kingdom. So it was a time when the writing was on the wall, so to speak, not to mix prophets here, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, um it's interesting. I think Zephaniah uh, is also the prophet. I'm working off memory here, but isn't he the one who who actually calls it the great day of the Lord's wrath? Uh, so he connects day of the Lord with wrath. I think that's right.
1: I, I believe you're right. Yes. Maybe
0: not. But anyway, awesome. So Zephaniah. All right, let's move on to uh, Haggai, the prophet Haggai.
1: All right. So we're done with the Lord judging Israel and Judah. They're in exile. Now it's time to bring them back about 50 to 70 years later and rebuild the temple. So Haggai is part of the remnant. He's an older prophet. Uh, We're talking here about 538 BC. He returns with the Jews, and it's time to build the temple. But the people are coming back. Uh, Imagine, you know, it's like the Civil War. It's after the Civil War. The people are returning to their homes, and they're finding their homes and homesteads are all destroyed. They got to start rebuilding again. The first thing they don't think of building is the church in town. They think of building their own houses. God's like, no, that's not the way it works. We rebuild the temple first, and then you go back and fix the houses. So the Lord sent blight on their lands and their crops and all kind of to to wake them up. And then Haggai had the answer. He says, this is the reason you guys can't grow anything. Your priorities are wrong. So Haggai was how to have faith when you're guilty. Mm. Uh, we are all guilty of something at some time it takes a lot of faith in the lord to trust him to admit that guilt and turn to repentance and that's beautifully what the people did they went back they built the temple and their crops began to grow again and they had a great relationship with the lord for a while and uh so that is how to have faith when you're guilty
0: yeah i love that you know and you know, when we think about uh, our salvation, as you said, it it involves this repentance of uh, of changing the mind about recognizing we're a sinner that our sin has a steep penalty that we cannot save ourselves. There's a lot of thinking changes that have to take place, and 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 that's what repentance in its broadest sense uh, really means. But it has to fundamentally involve a recognition that you are guilty, that you're under steep judgment, and that you need uh, somebody to pay that penalty on your behalf. Someone to Stand in the stead. And that's what Jesus did in the atoning work on Calvary. He paid a debt he didn't owe because we owed a debt we couldn't pay. And that's basically substitutionary atonement uh, in a nutshell. Uh, But that's once we place our faith in him, we become positionally righteous but it doesn't mean we always act righteous. And so, as you said, we need to constantly keep short accounts and recognize when we've stepped outside of God's will and recognize that uh, the convicting work of the Holy Spirit in our life when He says, you know, you're guilty. We'll never be guilty positionally again. Nothing can ever come between us and the family of God, Uh, you know, in our position. uh, We're eternally secure, but absolutely. We need to uh, recognize uh, when we've stepped out of line. I love Haggai because it talks about the glory of the temple someday. In fact, uh, go ahead and tell us the statistics here about Haggai's prophecies.
1: 38 verses, 8 prophetic, so only 21%, only three prophecies, and they're all future-related, but boy, are they. Mm. I mean, this uh, Haggai 2, 6-7 through 7 is a messianic prophecy. Uh, once more, it is a little while I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land. I will shake all nations and they shall come to see who the desire of all nations, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And I will fill the temple with glory. He's talking about the millennial temple here. So we're we're not talking about to the Jews who saw them under Haggai and Zechariah rebuild the temple. And they were very depressed afterwards because the temple was just a shadow of Solomon's temple. It wasn't impressive until Herod came and did a lot of revisions to it. But he's talking about a future temple where the Holy of Holies, which had the Shekinah glory in it, would be open to the world because Jesus Christ, the manifestation of the of the Godhead, the Trinity, is right there mm-hmm. sitting on his throne in the Holy of Holies. That people, there's no veil. You can walk right up and talk to him again. And I love how Jesus called the desire of all nations, because right now, you know, he's the derision of many nations. And I'm looking forward to today when all the nations desire to see Jesus.
0: Amen. I love that. Yeah. You know, the derision versus the desire. That's a great little word play. Yeah. It's, I, I just, you know, I don't know that f- passage when I've preached Haggai before that passage in verse nine, there chapter two, the glory of this latter temper shall be greater than the former. Um, you know, th- there've been some glorious days in Israel's history. Uh, and there've been some glorious days on the earth, you know, prior to the fall, it was, everything was perfect. God looked at creation, said it was very, very good. But uh it's been a while since we've we've had much glory, and as we talked about earlier, you know, America as a microcosm of, of the world as a whole, you know, it's tarnished. I mean, the glory is faded, and many would say it's already been eclipsed. Uh, and I probably would agree. Uh, so, but someday it's going to shine like never before, and uh, and what a day that will be! A better day is coming.
1: Amen and amen.
0: All right, so we got two more here. Let's talk about Zechariah the prophet.
1: All right. Zechariah's faith when the future looks bleak. So he was uh, compared to Haggai who's older. Zechariah was younger. He's there. He's also helping encourage people to rebuild the temple. Uh, but the book of Zechariah, uh, uh, Lamb and Lion Ministries, we have a podcast called The Truth Will Set You Free. And my uh, co-host uh, Vic Batiste and I, I love how Vic always calls Zechariah the mini book of Revelation because Zechariah is the Old Testament's view- version of Revelation. It has so many different prophecies and oracles and visions and lessons that we can learn. 211 verses, it's a lot longer, 134 are prophetic, 64% of, the, of Zechariah is prophetic, five historically fulfilled prophecies, seven partial, and 25, a whopping 25, are about future fulfillment. So the book of Zechariah is... I think a Old Testament addendum to the Book of Revelation. Read them together; they will really help you understand one and the other.
0: Yeah, and Zechariah fourteen is. Uh, let's jump there uh, okay. because that, to me, is is such a beautiful picture of uh, you know the 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 future. Uh, behold, a day of the Lord is coming and your spoil will be divided in your midst. I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. Where have we read about that, obviously Revelation, as you've said, uh, then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of the battle. Um, I'm going to call it, well, while you're kind of elaborating on that, I'm going to call it up on my, in my Bible here so I can point out a verse that I wanted to point out.
1: Yeah, that's uh, verses one through three of chapter 14. All the nations are going to gather against Jerusalem. So I think what we're seeing here in the the Middle East with Israel having to deal with Hamas and its hostile neighbors, that eventually Israel will win. I mean, God's promised that they'll win. They will never be uprooted from the land of Israel again. People write lamb and lion ministries asking, you know, is this it? Is Israel doomed? Absolutely (laughs) not. The Lord defends Israel. And so Israel will defeat Hamas. They will defeat Hezbollah. When the Gog and Magog coalition later comes down, Russia, and the islamic nations to destroy israel god steps in and supernaturally destroys them all and then at the end of the tribulation when the antichrist has gotten every nation in the world to come together to try to destroy jerusalem knowing really that antichrist is trying to defeat, defeat god i mean the jewish people have no chance but god stands up before him, michael the archangel and uh, the lord protects israel so yes israel is going to win everything going for now They'll have an incredible death count and a lot of destruction of the land, of course. But the Lord will preserve a third of the Jewish people. They will turn to look upon him who they persecuted, whom they crucified, Jesus Christ. And when he returns, as Matthew 23 says, they will cry out, Baruch, Habab, Hashem, Adonai. Blessed Mm. is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that's what the Lord is waiting for. He will return when they say that.
0: Yeah, you know, I can't. Re- I've done so many podcasts here recently because we're, we're getting ready. We're going to be gone, uh, and and then of course we got the Christmas holidays. We're going to be gone, so I'm trying to kind of do some some interviews on important topics. So I don't remember if I said this to you or in a different one. If I'm repeating myself, <laughs> forgive me. But um, absolutely, uh, you know, it, it's stunning to me how even American political leaders are calling for a quote pause as Israel is trying to defeat this horrible enemy and I just want to shake them and say pause are you kidding me i mean if you know if this had happened to america you, do you think for a second that america would pause i mean we we couldn't wait to get in uh to afghanistan and and, and iraq and of course iraq had nothing to do with 911 even in the official narrative uh and and we and as we should we wanted to defeat our enemies and so should israel so uh, i agree with you i think this thing is is the beginning of the end that they're going to they're going to continue to march until they they can control the whole region, because we know when the tribulation starts, Israel is in the land in a time of peace. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, as you mentioned, there's going to be a lot of bloodshed, and even in the the years immediately preceding Christ's return, when the Antichrist and false prophet turn their uh, focus on destroying Israel, you know, one final time, there's going to be a lot of bloodshed. It's going to be horrific. But there will be a remnant, as you said, who cries, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and never again, never again will Israel be scattered from the land.
1: And that's where we get chapter 12, 10 through 14. I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, They will look on me whom they pierce. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son. And so here the Jewish people will greatly mourn when they see the Messiah's pierced body coming to rescue them from the entire world. The entire world trying to destroy, what's what, 14 million Jews today? By the Mm. end of the tribulation, we'll be lucky if there's a few hundred thousand. Yet Mm. the entire world wants to kill them. Uh, If anyone has any doubts that there is a satanic world out there, that is Satanism. To want to destroy such a minority.
0: Yeah. No, I did a message here recently on Israel and God's plan of the ages. It was kind of the first to kick off message in my series here at the end of the year on Israel. And I, I showed a slide that I got from Andy Woods. You, I'm sure you've seen it. You may have even borrowed it from him too, or maybe he borrowed it from you. I don't know, but it's a fascinating picture that shows all the Muslim lands surrounding Israel. And right in the middle, you've got this tiny little sliver of land that's, that's a different color and, it, it, and it's labeled as Israel. and And you just go, Man, can't they be satisfied with what they've gotten? Why do they want this last little tiny piece of real estate? And the and I quoted uh, Zechariah twelve ten here. Uh, it's not. It's because it's not about uh, real estate. It's about the Holy Land. It's a spiritual battle. It's God's land. They hate God. They want what God has set apart as His own land. It goes all the way back to you know. Th- think of. Uh, of course, the Abrahamic covenant, when God promised the land to Abraham in Genesis 15, when he gave the boundaries of the land. But you could even think of interactions like Moses when God said, you know, the the, the take off your shoes because the land, because the place you stand is holy ground. And so uh, you're right. It is satanic to the core. Uh, but I feel excited as you've uh, alluded to a couple of times, uh, that we're living in such a time as this, when we're seeing the beginnings, the rumblings of where it's all headed.
1: And it, Zechariah doesn't want to leave the Jewish people hanging And ver- chapter 14, four through seven is again, that's the prophecy about him landing on the Mount of Olives and mm-hmm. splitting in two and him rescuing the Jewish people. And then you go eight through 11. I love this. And the, the, that day, it shall be that living water shall flow from Jerusalem And it talks about bringing the Dead Sea back to life again. Uh, So when Jesus returns, he's going to defeat all the enemies of the world. The Jewish people that survive and believe in him will be a priestly people. We in our glorified bodies will serve serve the Lord all through the millennial kingdom. There will be Gentiles who will survive the tribulation saved, and they too will create nations. And it says that from the throne of God, or I should say the throne of David, the waters will flow and it will make the dead sea alive again. And that's a that's imagery of what it looks like up at the God's throne room, where the river of life flows out of the throne of God. And, and we read about the tree of life during the eternal state. So all the way from the tabernacle to the temple to the millennial temple, they all point to the throne room of God. They're images, uh, pale shadows of the glory that's coming. But with each one, they get more and more glorious.
0: Yeah, and you can't, we we can't mention Zechariah 14, 8 without mentioning verse 9, my favorite verse in Zechariah, that's the one I was looking for, when he says, and the Lord shall be king over the whole earth, in oh, yes. that day it shall be, the Lord is one, and his name one, hallelujah indeed. All right, last one, Malachi, uh, the final book of the Old Testament, the final one of the 12 minor prophets, so uh, what do we learn from Malachi?
1: Well, Malachi is, uh, we're, we're jumping ahead to about 400 B.C., uh, the Jewish people are back in the land, although they are controlled by other nations, the Medo-Persian Empire at the time, later the Greeks and the Romans, the Ottomans, you name it. It was until 1948 that they rule over themselves again. But uh, Malachi has faith when you're questioned. So here's—he's appears he's a temple priest, and he's watching the people come to the temple as if bringing your teenager to church. They're dragging their feet. They're not interested. They're bringing sacrifices, but they're bringing whatever they want, lame, blind, even stolen sacrifices. And there's no real love for the God. So there's these questions back and forth between Malachi and the people questioning them. And each time the people try to wiggle out of it or have some kind of answer that, and finally in the end, they're like, what in the world has God done for us again lately? And they basically say, it's such a chore to have to serve the lord i mean it's the end of the sacrificial system they understood the sacrificial system was a tremendous burden so malachi and when his faith is questioned he's the prophecies he gave the people were okay the sacrificial official system will end when the ultimate sacrifice comes and that's the messiah and of course the people wouldn't understand that and the lord shut off he had no new revelation until john the baptist his father uh, zechariah Uh, 400 years later so that's the 400 years of silence that Mm. god brought and that's the entire history of the the new world 400 years can Mm. imagine god not talking to you for 400 years but uh, malachi has got 55 verses 22 are prophetic so about 40 percent one is historically fulfilled one partially and eight future so if this is the last message the lord has for the old testament world he's again he's gonna leave them under judgment but he's also going to give them hope of a future restoration.
0: Yeah. And we get prophecies about John the Baptist. We get uh, just, you know, the, the, the coming uh, millennium again, uh, all, all of that. So yeah, it's, it's amazing folks. This is a really, really good book. It's called 12 faith journeys of the minor prophets, Nathan Jones and Steve Howell. Um, uh, you know, Dr. Jones from Lamb and Lion Ministries uh, with his colleagues Tim Moore and Dave Reagan there. Uh, and uh, so, where can they get the book?
1: Well, you can go to our website at christinprophecy.org. Uh, just go up to the store and you'll see a picture of it there. We also have it on Amazon and both print and ebooks. And my wife, who does all the ebooks for the ministry, has put it up on like pretty much every platform anybody buys an ebook on. So, it's brand new, just came out 12 Faith Journeys of the Minor Prophets. And Dr. Hickson, again, I appreciate you letting me use two of your podcasts to discuss it and go through it. I, I just think that the Lord's messages that he has through the Minor Prophets shouldn't be ignored. They're, they're, they matter. They, they help us transform our lives. They help us grow in our faith. And they also help us to have hope for the future.
0: Well, you bet. And and you guys, you have an open invitation. Anytime you have a burden or the Lord puts something on your heart, it doesn't have to be necessarily to talk about a new uh, book, but, uh, you know, we... We love Lamb and Lion Ministries, and I uh, really enjoyed talking to you. I, I had several questions that I wrote down as we were talking about things I want to pick your brain about theologically the next time we are uh, we have uh, time, but uh, thank you for making time uh, for this. And again, the title of the book is 12 Faith Journeys of the Minor Prophets uh, by Nathan Jones and Steve Howell, and they can get it uh, from christinprophecy.org. So thank you guys for listening. Uh, Again, uh, lots more to come. We've got just such a great lineup. I'm just really humbled that so many great Bible teachers and prophecy experts are willing to come on the the NBW podcast. Uh, We've also got... um, Uh, Later this week, uh, Curtis Chamberlain with the Christian Underground News Network. You know, we haven't uh, had the privilege of being on that program for over a month now, but uh, he's still doing well. We still connect a lot offline and really delighted to be back on his program on Friday of uh, this week. And we're going to be talking about 10 Things Satan Hates. And so you can look forward to that later this week. I've got uh, uh, Dr. Thomas Ice on uh, he's going to a, be giving us a preview of the coming pre-trib uh, conference in December. Uh, and so lots lots out there. Check out our website, notbyworks.org. And once again, don't forget, uh, while you're on our website, click on the store and check out the Red Pill Prince merchandise that we have. It's all NBW Ministries merchandise, clothing, uh, 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 coffee mugs, water bottles, all kinds of really, really cool stuff. Uh, and uh, I know the folks at Red Pill Prince would appreciate you uh, uh, checking out out there stuff and they partner with us and we're very grateful for them. So God bless everyone. And we will look forward to talking again soon.